We started a sermon series last week that we are calling Living Debt-Free. And it's, it sounds like it could be a money series, but it's not about money. Uh, obviously, when it comes to money or anything, I don't want to live in debt. And I don't want people to be indebted to me either. I need to live debt-free. But we're talking about other things. We're talking about relational things. Our tagline, as you see on the screen, it says, Finding Emotional Freedom. So this is kind of an emotional directed series, but really it's a relational series because really this is a relational issue here we're talking about. Um, ultimately, you can't divorce the relational and emotional aspects. It's interesting when you read the beginning of the Bible and you find that when God, in the beginning of creation, that God once said it is not good that man should be alone wasn't referring just to man, he was referring to mankind, to humanity. In other words, what he was saying is, people aren't best alone. We were made to be in community and relationship with each other. And I know that, that we could all discuss how that varies from person to person. Some people are more introverts, some others are more extroverts, some are more independent, others are more codependent. And I get the differences. But the truth is, is that all of us on some level need people and community. We are not, it's not good that we're alone. And no one does best in solitary confinement, right? Uh, I sound good for a short while, but it will get really old very soon. And so therefore, our relational aspect affects our emotional aspect. And so we're going to live debt-free and find emotional freedom. Some of these topics will deal with our relationships for the emotional freedom. Especially last week and this week, more than even the last two although they're all so uniquely important to our emotional freedom. So last week we talked about the debt of I-O-U. That when we've wronged somebody, when you've wronged somebody, you go through the tension point of saying, oh no, um, I feel indebted to them, I've wronged them, I owe them an apology, I, 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 can I make it up? I owe you. And a lot of us live a long time under the bondage of owing, feeling we owe somebody, but never having taken a step to make it right, perhaps out of fear or a thousand other reasons. So we discussed that last week and we said that the, the cure, the best way to find healing through or to find freedom through I owe you is found in the word confession. Confession. And what does that mean? And very plainly we laid that out. And I, I said this, and by the way, as we get into today's talk, today's talk is going to be a difficult one for maybe some of us. But I really, we're going to be very pointed probably of the four weeks. Today is, if, if we're struggling with today's topic on a personal level, this will be the hardest one to face. This is the hardest one to, to, to address. Perhaps the one we get the most defensive about. The one that feels the most difficult to fix. But a lot of what we're going to talk about today, if, if today's topic will be a stress, a, 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 a rub for you, and you missed last week, you should go back and listen to last week later on when you have time. Because probably it's because someone owes, uh, they, they, someone has an IOU coming your way that needs to be confessed. And that topic will help you with today's topic. But here we are today. So today we want to talk about a different kind of debt we struggle with emotionally. And that is the debt of you owe me. You owe me. 
And just like last week, we didn't really pull any punches. We just kind of laid it out there, and today will be the same. In fact, I joked last week, I, I said last week that it was a longer sermon, and um, I said I needed to be, borrow the grace from the previous several weeks where I preached a little shorter to go a little longer last week. It didn't go too bad. But today's like last week. I got a lot to say. And it could trickle over a couple minutes more than usual. I don't know. I'm going to ask you, though, to, um, to sit back and say if one person can be helped. And I think several people were helped last week in ways that I've heard about since last Sunday. If today can help one person turn a corner have life change, it's worth the time we're going to take today. And so I was lucky out of my office a little earlier between services and th- worrying about the time because I do that. Anthony Curtis, who's in the online room, said, hey, the topic today is more important than a few minutes earlier to lunch. And so he's right, but it's hard to tell my stomach that sometimes, right? So um, anyhow, uh, hopefully uh, we, that won't be the case. But just bear with me because this is big. And again, last week led, set the stage. So if today is hard, we set the stage for who owes you last week. What are they supposed to do? But today I want to talk about you owe me. Have you ever met, have you ever met people? Or perhaps you are this person, right? Uh, ever meet people who act like the world owes them something? They just struggle all the time with bitterness and anger. Um, I believe a lot of that mentality gains its strength, kind of like we said last week about confession, a lot of that mentality gains its strength in secrecy. Like we have things that happen that we've buried deep inside of us, we've put walls around them, and they're deep, but on the outside of our surface, what's happening is other things are popping up, and we're angry and bitter, all these parts of our lives that are born out of a deeper place, a deeper place that we need to address, but we just keep it kind of buried. And I think that, like we said last week, you got to bring that out of the shadows. you got to bring that out of the shadows. So one thing we can do as I get started is if you feel like, you're, if you're not sure if you are an angry or bitter or difficult, if, you don't, if you're not sure you're emotionally healthy, one thing you could do is you could ask the people in your life honest questions. Say, do, you, do, you, do I have an anger problem or a bitterness problem? Am I an emotionally unhealthy person? Now, some of us, we don't want to ask the question because we already know the answer. Or we want to ask those people who are fans of us. You know, we all have fans. Those people that you can go and ask and say, hey, and they'll just say whatever you want to hear because they don't want confrontation or conflict. They're not going to help you. Okay? But to find those people who are, love you enough to be honest and raw, perhaps people you look up to who are there to be able to say, you know, what you need to hear more than what you want to hear. But ask them, hey, am I healthy emotionally? Am I, how am I? And what they say, as well as your reaction to their response, may go a long way of exposing to you what's going on under the surface. And you could even ask yourself, if you're, if you're, if you're a self-aware person, ask yourself honestly, why are you always angry and always offended? Tim McGraw, the country singer, used to sing a song, I don't know why you got to be angry all the time. Is that you? Why am I always angry and offended? Why do people bump up against that side of me so easily? Can, I, can you diagnose it? At the root, at the root level, what happened in your life to justify your frustration that keeps popping out of the surface in all the other relationships around it? And the problem is not the, the surface frustrations that pop up. It's the root issue that causes them to grow over the surface. 
And I think you've got to go down deep and drag that thing into the light where it will lose its power. So last week we said that the secret to IOU is confession. And I don't have time to revisit that, but you were hopefully were with us for that or you can later. Today I want to say that if you feel that someone, someone owes you, that you owe me, if that's where you are today, the secret is forgiveness. And that's a big word. It's a word that some of us bristle against because it's like, I don't want to do that. And yet it's everything, and it's exactly why this is a big topic today. Because here's what I've learned. And I'm going to go back to last week for a second. Just like with confession, we want the emotional freedom. We want, the emo- we want freedom from the emotional cost and the emotional bondage without actually having to go address the relational necessities. So when it comes to confession, some people are walking around and they feel, I owe you, I owe somebody, I owe you, but they don't actually want to confess or try to make things right because they're afraid they won't be forgiven and they might not be. They're afraid of addressing that. So they, they want to be free from the emotional weight of guilt. They want to be free from the emotional, the spiritual bondage of that without actually having to take the hard step of confession. And I think on the other side of the coin is today. Some of us, we, we, we feel someone owes us. You owe me. And we don't like what that's doing to us. And we want freedom from what that's doing to our soul, the emotional bondage and the emotional cost it's having on us. We want to be free from that without actually having to go through the relational necessity of actually forgiving. We want to kind of mix it. Can I kind of find a way to cheat the definition of forgiveness to where I can kind of get off myself some freedom without giving them anything? And, there's, and by the way, culture will help you do that. There are memes and there are cliches all over the internet and articles that are written by people and even sermons that are preached by people either who aren't, don't want to f- expand what forgiveness really is or don't want to offend those who are, who are angry because when people are angry and bitter and unforgiving, you don't want to make that crowd mad because you're going to get your head bit off. So we try to parse it down and not be offensive and say, well, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that you da-da-da-da-da. You hear that all the time. Forgiveness doesn't mean such and such. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to do this, this, and this. And the truth is that's true. So if your boyfriend cheats on you and comes back and says, will you forgive me? Sure, but doesn't he have to date date you and marry you now? Or if your spouse does, I mean, that's a a tough topic, right? Your your, uh, employee steals money from the cash register. Forgiving them doesn't mean you have to put it behind the cash register next week and walk away. I mean, I understand that there's things that we understand that forgiveness, you know, a person says, I'm sorry I killed people. Well, it doesn't mean to set them free to do it more. That's the national consequences. There's, there's, there's things that, that are legal. And there's things that are relational. If a guy, um, you know, I mean, this is just, can I trust you in this area? There's a whole bunch of factors that forgiveness doesn't mean such and such. We know that. But here's the problem I have. That most of the time, not all the time, but many times when people are saying, well, forgiveness doesn't mean that I have to da-da-da-da-da, usually they're using extreme examples of what forgiveness obviously doesn't mean in the extreme to basically say, therefore, forgiveness doesn't really mean anything at all for me. Forgiveness doesn't mean I have to do everything, such and such. So therefore, it doesn't really mean anything other than what I'm currently doing, which isn't really working for me, but I just don't want to forgive, so it doesn't mean whatever. And I always want to ask uh, people when we talk that way, well then, okay, I know what forgiveness doesn't mean, but let me ask you something. What does forgiveness mean? 
Okay, you, you've told it, but it doesn't mean. So apparently it means nothing, right? Like, don't worry about it. Just throw the word out. But what does it mean? See, that's what we don't want to address. And we want the freedom from the emotional cost and bondage without addressing the relational necessity of forgiveness. And oftentimes the crazy part is we don't understand. We're the ones suffering. And I always want to ask people, how long are you going to let that person who hurt you continue to hurt your life? Because what they did to you hurts you then, but you're, you're so, I can't let go. I will not, I will not get over it. I admit. And you're holding on to it. And they're just still hurting you. And they're just still hurting you. How long are you going to let that go on? And it's always fun to say, how, let's pick a date. Let's get a calendar out and let's pick a date of when we're going to stop letting them hurt, hurt you. Like June 29th, that's, that's the day we're going to stop letting them you know, hurt me still. Well, that's silly. Right? That's silly. But, but is it? Because in a way what we're doing by prolonging it is we're letting it go week and month and years at a time where that person still is, we're still letting what they've done to us hurt us still and hurt others around us. And here's the thing, and this is so important to understand. Well, let me say this. It's up to you to not let it continue. Decide that you can be free and then stop using your story as an excuse to continue to harm yourself and not do the right thing also. And here's why. Like with last week with I owe you, so today with you owe me, this mentality also alienates us from other people. It sabotages the quality of our relationships. Here's the thing. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying right here. If you are looking to be paid back for something done for you or someone's got to pay, you're going to be paid back for what's happened, you know what? Your unsuspecting friends and family are most often the ones who do the pain. We know this is true. That's why we're blowing up at our marriage and blowing up at our kids and blowing up at our family and blowing up at our friends. And it's, what, it's the surface reactions because we're waiting for someone else. To, we want to be paid for something that we can't be paid for. And everyone else is paying. People we don't want to pay, pay. Because here's what usually happens. The offender can't pay us. They just can't. Most, I said this last week, most of the time when you owe somebody, you really can't pay them back. I mean, maybe if you took 100 bucks from them, you can pay, pay them 100 bucks plus interest, you know. But most offenses, most things that we do wrong or are done wrong to us can't be recovered. The only thing that can truly be done is to go back in time and have it never happen. And since that can't happen, you really can't be paid back. And the offender usually, the reason they ask, they offer an apology is because there's nothing they can do to undo it. What's done is done. In some cases, it's way too big to ever possibly pay back. And in most cases, even if it's something like words that were said, you can't unsay them. Reputation that was damaged, you can't undamage it that easily. You know, hurts that trust that was violated. And just all sorts of things that you can't undo that. So the offender can't pay us back. And that's why we have to let it go. Because if we don't, who's going to end up paying instead is everyone around us that we care about when they cross us because something deep, we're not going to put up with anything anymore. We're just, something's wrong. So Paul addresses this in Ephesians. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture, Ephesians, and then later on we're going to look at some words of Jesus in Matthew 18. But in, in Ephesians, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he explains to them what this looks like. In Ephesians 4, verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, 
harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now, I don't want to rush past this verse here because that first phrase, get rid of, if you study what he's saying there, he is saying like aggressively get rid of these things. It's kind of the, the best analogy of what that phrase means is kind of illustrated like if you were ever to like, you ever walk through a spider web accidentally? I mean, we all, I'm sure at some point, you're walking through, you're minding your own business, and you walk through a spider web, and you're just instantly, you grab it, you're like trying to pull it off everything and just get that off of you because it's not the spider web, it's what could have been in the spider web that's also on you, right? So you're frantically yanking that thing off, right? And that's what Paul's saying. Get rid of, just like uh, get rid of all. And bitterness, rage, these are different emotions here. Some people who, they get upset and they just instantly explode in rage. Others who simmer quietly and things are fine, except under the surface they're bitter and it will eventually come out and grow like a cancer. And all these things, harsh words, slander, lying about somebody, or saying the truth harshly, or all types, in case anything's missing, all the types of evil behavior. He says, let me just cover the whole blanket here. And most of us, if we're struggling with that, we're like, yes, thank you. I'd like to get rid of that. I'd like to get rid of that in my life. <laughs> but how? And so Paul says, let me talk about how. Verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Interesting combination. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted. And then he says, forgiving one another. There's that word forgive. Don't you love it when people throw out a word that you don't want to hear? Forgive one another. It's like, oh, man, it was going so good until you said forgive. It's like going to the doctor, you know, and the doctor's like, just, you think you're fine, you're leaving the, the doctor's visit, and he's like, and no more dairy. Oh, come on. What? Just like cut my legs off underneath me, you know? What in the world? I mean, just forgive one another. It's just got no fun at all. It's not that easy. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted and forgiving. That combination is powerful. Because forgiveness is what allows us to be kind and tenderhearted to people who have neither been neither kind nor tenderhearted to us. So, okay, fine, fine, forgive. But isn't that generic? And so Paul isn't done yet. He then says, just as. And that's important. Because if Paul didn't define what forgiveness was, we'd be tempted to do what we tend to do, don't we? What we tend to do is we tend to say, you know, Forgiveness is whatever I want it to be. It's a definition that will get me out of the baggage of the emotional pain of not being forgiving without actually having to forgive the person. So we work all these definitions of what forgiveness is not and what it is to try to find a way to skirt around actually having to forgive. And so Paul's like, let me just make it very plain what forgiveness really is. He says, forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Oh, that's mean. That's just wrong. Because you know what that looks like? I mean, God through Christ, and we, we, you know what he did? He took all of our sins and, on the cross. Like, the cross was so important because when we sin, is, it's easy to minimize until you see the cost in some real way. Like, every, since God made us and we said, thanks for making me, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to trust me over you, listen to me over you, do what I want to do instead of what's right to do. And we've harmed ourselves. We've harmed this planet we live on. We've harmed other people who God created in his image. And we've wronged him and wronged each other. And we've made a mess of things, and all of us have. And, and so for Jesus to go to the cross, it was an outward demonstration on the cross 
of the gruesome, the, of the pain of sin. Because it, all wrong against somebody is, in a way, a slap in their face, and a punch in their gut. And on the cross, Jesus says, let me show you. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the spit in my face, slap me, crucify me, whip me, die. And we're like, that's so, that's so whatever, that's tough. But, but that's, what, that's what sin always does. Some of you, someone said something about you before that you'd say, I'd rather you have slapped me in the face than say that about me. I'd rather you would have punched me in the gut than do that to me, than take that from me. And so on the cross, Jesus says, let me just show you in undeniable, unmistakable terms the impact of sin. And I'm going to bear all of that for you. And here's the thing, y'all did it. But God is saying, I will take what you've done and instead of saying, you wronged and now you must pay, Jesus says, God says that through Christ, I will pay. I'll pay for what you did. I will bear what you did wrong. So that instead of turning around and saying, you wronged me and you wronged each other and therefore you must pay, he says, no, I will do the paying for you and bear the consequences. Because I want you back more than I want you to pay. That's pretty radical stuff. In fact, the truth is, however, earlier I said that we tend to say, well, forgiveness doesn't mean this and this and this. You know what forgiveness from God means? Literal restored relationship to the ones who hurt and wronged him and he bore the consequences and he forgave us to bring us back to him. Now that's the step in forgiveness that some of us don't ever want to think about or quantify. And you're like, Arlen, that isn't even practical in my situation with the people who hurt me. I can't do that. In fact, when we read a statement like this, that we're just supposed to forgive just as God through Christ forgave us, where he bore our wrong without putting it back on us and, and brought us back into relationship with him, we look at that and say, that's, that's, un, that's undoable. I just, that's not even healthy. How dare you even bring that verse up? And by the way, take it up with Paul and Jesus, not me, by the way. But we get upset. I understand. I, here's the tension. I understand the tension. But please hear me for a minute. What we tend to do is when we see the ideal and we see our real, we tend to say, well, that's just not practical. But I'm challenging you today to live in the tension of the real versus the ideal. To live in that space from, instead of running from the tension, stay in that tension and say, that's what God's forgiveness looks like. I'm called to forgive. I don't even think that's practical. Live in that tension because what we tend to do, and it's important to understand about ourselves, so we want to have two different working definitions of forgiveness. We look at God's forgiveness and say, well, I like that, but I certainly, that's not what, I don't want to pass that on to that person who hurt me. No way, Jose. So we redefine forgiveness for those people and say, well, forgiveness doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean that, and I don't wish you dead. Well, maybe, but I don't want you to suffer forever. Well, maybe. No, I don't. And, you know, you can exist in a menial, minimal, viable way and, live in sorrow forever. You can exist. I don't, I don't hate you forever. Uh, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't. Forgiveness means only this for you. But we don't want to translate our definition of forgiveness for people who hurt us. We don't want to translate that definition to God towards us. We're afraid of that. We want the definition from God towards us to be something way bigger. And Paul walks right into that tension and says, look, I'm just going to say it. What is forgiveness? If it's, not, if it's not this, this, and this, then what is it? And look at the ideal and ask yourself, what are, you, what are you supposed to do when it comes to forgiveness? That's hard. And I know, and for many of us, if I heard your story today, we sat down and talked, I'd be like, I get it. I understand. 
In fact, by the way, that's why I think that if you're having a tough time with, this is a big one today. Talk to somebody. Sit down and have a conversation. I'll have a conversation with you. Let's hear it out. But here's the thing I want to say. He's really talking pointedly here to Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're just listening online or in person today and you don't believe in, you know, you don't, you're not a believer, the good news is, in a way, you're kind of, um, you know, this is good for you still. This is good for all of us. Forgiveness, unforgiveness hurts all of us on an emotional level. So this is good teaching for all of us. But the directness of this verse where it's kind of punchy and pointed is on a different level for the Jesus follower. So if you're a Jesus follower, we can't dodge the punch here. Because Jesus is saying, if you've experienced God's forgiveness, if you've lived in that, here's what you're supposed to do. Forgive others. And you didn't deserve to be treated the way you were treated, and they don't deserve to get away with it. But my question to you is, who is really paying? There's a lot of us today, there's someone who hurt us, and they seem to, you're like, they don't even care. They're living, like, they're living their life like nothing ever happened. They don't even care what they did. And meanwhile, you're bothered by it all the time, and you lose sleep lose appetite and you're frustrated and your relationships are suffering. Who's paying for it? So I think that forgiveness is hard, but it's worth it for every reason that's right, including if you've experienced God's forgiveness, passing it on. Now, there's two specific challenges to forgiveness. There's two specific extra challenges to forgiveness today. One extra challenge is for those people who never confessed. Like, they, like Arlen, they never confessed that they owe me. That was last week, so if they don't confess, it's hard to forgive them. The other challenge of forgiveness is repeat offenders. I want to talk about those two things for just a minute here. First of all, those people who never confess. I told you last week that if you owe someone an apology, if you've wronged somebody, and you confess it to them, they might not forgive you. They might not forgive you. That's possible but you should still confess. Well, likewise, today, someone might owe you an apology. They may never confess. They may never confess. You may never get that from them. But we're still supposed to be forgiving. In fact, what's interesting is even if confession never comes, Jesus gave us an example of this. On the cross, when Jesus was literally dying for our sins and demonstrating the, the love of God and bearing our offenses and what that looked like, on the cross, as the people who were mocking his name, who had spit on him, beat him, slapped him, whipped him, and were crucifying him, selling his clothes in auction, Jesus prayed a prayer. Luke 23 records it, verse 34. He said, Father, um, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, that rubs us wrong sometimes when people have hurt us. Because we're thinking, oh, they know exactly what they're doing. What they did. That's what we look at that story. We look at Jesus. Don't be silly. Don't be naive. Those people knew what they were doing. They were crucifying you. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? Don't get them off the hook for that. But but isn't it true that they understood they were? But sometimes people do wrong things and they justify them in their minds. They think they're doing God's service when they're actually doing something harmful. They or maybe they lack empathy. They may be flawed, narcissistic, or they lack empathy. Or they, they see they've been a hurt, so they're justified in what they're doing. Or they're the good guy, so therefore they're okay in what they're doing. Somehow people justify things a lot of bad ways. Or they don't understand how painful what they're doing is. Or they, maybe they don't care. They just don't seem to get what they've done or what they're doing. And that's frustrating. But Jesus looked at the people in front of him and said, they don't really get this. They, I mean, it's wrong. Duh, right? He's like, they don't understand. That's so, so hard to say forgive them. 
But maybe Jesus knew something. Listen, maybe Jesus knew that later, one day, they would come to know. They would come to confess. They would come around. Or maybe not. And maybe someone in your life will one day. And I do believe that in one day, in, in, in some day, everything will be made right. And maybe way before that one day, they will come around in your life as well. Maybe not. Either way, their lack of understanding of a confession, of saying, I understand what I did to you, or I care, that lack, that, that you haven't gotten that, so you're holding on to that, that's hurting you. Someone made a statement I saw a couple weeks ago that I wrote down for today's sermon. I love it. They said, life gets easier when you accept the apology you never got. Life gets easier when you accept the apology you never got. I mean, you say, well, I, I, I don't owe that to them. No, they owe you. But, so what? So to teach them a lesson, you're going to keep letting it inflict pain on your life? Or can you decide that life gets easier when you accept the apology you never got? It's not fair. I don't... We could preach a whole sermon series called Life's Not Fair. So that's the people who never confess. What about those repeat offenders? You know what I'm saying? That person who keeps, keeps offending you. It's that dad in your life, somebody who raised you harshly, was mean, and left you with some, some, some words that haunt you to this day. And then you want to forgive and move past, but then you get together for family get-togethers, and he's still critical of you and how you're living your life and what you're up to and how you're raising your kids. And it's just like, oh, it's still like, and so it's not, it's not even, it's not what he did before. And all he did before piles onto what he's, how he's like today. He's the same person. It's repeat offenders. And I, I want to say about that, that you're not the only one to wrestle with that. In fact, Jesus had disciples that wrestled with that. Peter was right next to Jesus. Peter heard Jesus teach forgiveness, but he wrestled with it. So one day, Peter, in Matthew 18, 21, Peter asks Jesus, he says to him, how, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? You know, like how often? Like, I get it, forgive, but what if they're a repeat of fun? Like, how often should I forgive them? Like, and he throws out a number, like seven times. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if they do it a second time, I've got to forgive them again. A third time? I mean, come on, like seven whole times? That's ridiculous. And, and don't miss this now. Peter, Peter misunderstood the nature of forgiveness. He misunderstood the nature of forgiveness because like us, like us, Peter assumed that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. And maybe forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender primarily or only, but it's for the benefit of the offended. So Jesus answers Peter and says to him in verse 22, no, not seven times. Whew, that's a relief. He goes, but 70 times 7, oh, come on. That's like Buzz Lightyear stuff to infinity and beyond. I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, 70 times 7 times, I can't even count that high. Right? And so Jesus knows the tension point of forgiveness is, so, is a hard subject. And so instantly what Jesus does next is he, is he stays on the topic of forgiveness, but he shifts into a story. He shifts into a story because he knows it's a hard topic. Here's the story he tells, starting in Matthew 18 and verse 23. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Let's pause here because that's a lot of story right there. So Jesus is saying, let's illustrate forgiveness through a parable about a king. This is what heaven is like. This is God's economy. Someone is owed a debt. This king in the story finds one of his people who owe him, owes him millions. There's no way they're paying that back. Probably they borrowed money and probably more than once and it added up. And they probably shouldn't have lent money to somebody who can't handle money in the first place. Either way, he's frustrated. You owe me millions and the guy can't pay him. And it says he, he ordered him to be sold and his family is into slavery to pay the debt. And that looks so harsh to us for good reason. We live in a very forgiving day and age in the Western culture. But even a few hundred years ago in Western culture and in developed nations of Europe, even just a few hundred years ago, there was things called debtor's prison, where if you owed money, you got tossed, in, you got tossed into prison and, and they had to work it off. And if you couldn't pay it all, you just worked forever. That's not, an, that, and so in 2,000 years ago when Jesus was saying this, there's parts of the world today where you, you can still get enslaved for debt. I mean, like fully enslaved, you, family, and all. And in that culture back then, everyone that Jesus was talking to, his disciples hearing the story, that was the reality of the world they lived in. And they understood the story. person owed money, they couldn't pay, they couldn't get sold off. That's just how things were in that time of history. This story made perfect sense in the setting. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Doubt it, you owe millions. <laughs> You're probably not going to pay it all. You know, it's just like those kind of people who hurt you and me and you're like, you could never pay me back for what you've done. You could never make that right. This guy's like, what are you going to do? Pay it all. But look what his master does in verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. Something happened in the story to where the king looks at this guy and says, man, I could have you thrown. I can make you pay the rest of your life. But you paying the rest of your life won't bring back to me what I've lost. Did you hear me? Don't, don't miss what I'm saying. You paying the rest of your life won't bring back my millions. And I, I could do it punitively right now, but he saw a man through a different lens. He found pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. And right here we pause the story because Jesus is making a definition of what forgiveness looks like that you and I cannot overlook right now. He's using a story about literal money debt to make a statement that I don't want you to miss and take home with you of what forgiveness really is. That forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. And it may not be a money debt, but it's ultimately the decision to cancel a debt. You owe me. You owe me. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel a debt. That's what Jesus is telling. But the story's not over. The man's forgiven his debt. Life is better. Forgiveness is wonderful. But let's keep reading. But before I do, let me just pause here. Go back to your screen for a second, would you, Jody? I know how hard this is. It's because when we are wronged, we feel owed, right? We feel owed. We're like, I'm going to get even. 
they, we want them to pay. And when someone wrongs you, here's what happens. When someone wrongs you, you always feel like the victim. We're like, I'm the victim. They wronged me, and I'm just... And, and I think that the mentality of that puts us into a reactive mode versus a proactive mode. Because we feel like they have the power. But I want to say this to you. They don't have the power. Remember I said last week that the borrower is servant to the lender. When someone's indebted to you, the power belongs to the one who's owed, not the one who owes. In other words, when someone wrongs you, they've done what they've done, and there's nothing they can do to undo it. They are at your mercy on some level. They may not care. But as far as what going on in your life towards them, they might have a debt to society that goes beyond you, that's legal, that's another story too. But when it comes to you and them, what they've done to you is done, and they don't have that power. They are helpless. They can't make you forgive them. You have the power. You can choose to look at yourself as the victim, or you can choose to be proactive and say, I have the power. I'm in charge. It's up to you what you do from here to someone who's wronged you and can't make it right anyhow. The only, it's up to you what you do. They can't demand that you forgive them. I said that last week. When someone wrongs you, they can't demand forgiveness. They can't. It's up to you. You have the power. The only one that can demand you to forgive is God. And he does. He does. That's hard. So the story goes on in Matthew 18, verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. That sounds familiar. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Let's pause here. We look at that story and we think, how insane is that? This guy literally walked out of the king's room where he was forgiven for millions of dollars of debt, walks out and says, whew, that would have wrecked my life, sees someone who owes him a few thousand and says, you're the reason I was in trouble with him. You're, you've made my life harder by owing me in the first place. Pay up. And he wouldn't forgive the debt that was owed him that was smaller. And had that man tossed into prison to pay, made that guy pay in a way that he was not forced to pay for millions. We read that story. Every one of us who reads that story, we're like, what is wrong with that guy? Who would do such a thing? You mean like me and you, all of us? Every time that we experience the forgiveness and grace of God for everything, for the biggest debts we could ever pay, for our biggest problems ever solved by his love poured out and his grace and forgiveness, and we turn around and say, I will never forgive you to somebody else. That's all of us, man. That's all of us in the story. Verse 29, his, verse 31, I'm sorry. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt. Because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus closes the chapter of the story with saying this. That's what my heavenly father will do 
to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And that's a hard verse right there. Let's just be really honest. Because some of us, we get into the theological space of wrestling with what is, what is Jesus saying there. Like is, I thought I was forgiven. Is he saying that he can forgive me and then remake me pay again later? Was I not really forgiven? Or is God saying that somehow this is a workspace salvation to where if I don't do the right thing about forgiving somebody else, I don't really get. I mean, that's the scary rustling right there. And that is not the point of my sermon today. Some of, some of us in this room would love me to address the tension of that verse because it's harsh or never read a verse like that. And I'm not going to go there today because that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is what I think the point of Jesus' story ultimately was. Perhaps Jesus was telling a shocking story. You ever see those people who tell shocking stories to kind of get your attention? They try to wake you up a little bit. Like, Woo! Jesus is telling a shocking story with a shocking ending to shake us past our walls that are built up, to shake us past our, our reasons why we are okay and justified in our anger and our bitternesses and our unforgiveness. He, sh he shocks us with a story. Because I think in love, I think in God's love, he wants you to understand a principle that you'll miss if you're not careful. It's an ironic warning that if we hold out waiting to be paid back for the wrongs done to us, we will be the ones who pay. And some of you are living that every day of your life. You're wanting someone else to pay you back for the wrongs they've done, and you will not let it go, and you don't think you have to. And, how to, and you're mad at me, perhaps, for, for, for suggesting otherwise. I'm just reading the Bible. But, you know, here's the thing. You're holding out, waiting to be paid, and like Jesus' story, while you who've been forgiven for much turn around and look at someone who you won't forgive, and you wait to be paid, and you won't let it go, you are the one paying, like the guy in the end of the story. In other words, when we, when we demand payment, it always costs us in the end. And don't live that reality. Don't live the reality that when we demand payment, it always costs us in the end. Quit paying the cost of receiving forgiveness on one end and withholding it on another end is costing you and you know it. And I know the world around you will tell you you are right to feel that way and anyone who says otherwise is wrong and you'll have all the cheerleaders to have righteous indignation for your sake all day long. You can, you can hate me for saying this, I understand, but and hate God if you want to, but I'm just pleading with you out of love for your, for your emotional well-being. It's costing you. It's costing you. It's costing you when you demand payment. It costs you in the end. If, on the other hand, we cancel the debts owed to us, we will be set free. Well, what about, I know, I know, all the whatabouts. You know, it's, it's, it's a, they murder somebody. I'm not talking about, there's the laws, and that's, that's called keeping people safe. Look, I'm talking about you and your heart and that person. You and your heart. They can never make it up to you. They can't. Nothing's going to satisfy that. It won't. But it's costing you in the end not to forgive. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, I said this earlier, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're off the, you're off the, the, 
the command part of this because, I mean, if you don't follow Jesus anyhow, I guess you don't look at that and say, well, <laughs> he hasn't forgiven me. I haven't, I've not experienced this forgiveness. This is still good advice for you. If you're, if you, if you're struggling as an agnostic today, it's good advice for you to find emotional freedom and forgiveness. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is, this is an all skate. This is good for everybody, but it's a little more pointed. In fact, here's the truth. What Paul talks about here, don't miss this, what Paul talks about here in this verse doesn't make any sense unless you are a forgiven person, right? Let me put it this way. Forgiveness only makes sense to people who've been forgiven. And that's why today, if you've never received the forgiveness and grace of God today, maybe the starting point for you is today you need to come to, to Christ. Today is the day for you to sit there and say, God, if you would forgive me, if I've, never, if I've never experienced your love and your grace and forgiveness, I've never received your payment for my sins, and I've never put my faith in your love and received your sacrifice for me and accepted your mercy and grace and love, if I've never, if I've never come to you and experienced forgiveness, that's where you should start today. Because it's going to be hard. This is important for all of us, but it's going to be hard to make sense until you've experienced what it's like to be forgiven. Because forgiveness only makes sense to people who've been forgiven. When we are hesitant to forgive, it's usually because we are evaluating our decision in light of what was done to us rather than what was done for us. And I'm going to say that again because I don't want you to miss that. When we are hesitant to forgive, it's usually because we are evaluating our decision in light of what was done to us rather than what was done for us. Or, put this way, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another undeserving soul. So I'm going to wrap this up pretty shortly. I'm going to give you four steps, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. This will zoom right by. Write these down. Take these home. I lay the stage. Let's get these four points and get you out of here in about 25, 35 hours or so. No, I'm just kidding. Four quick steps about how to, how to do this practically. Number one, identify who you are angry with. That's important. Probably you're angry with your spouse, but it's not your spouse because they didn't acknowledge you in the hallway. It's probably something deeper. Figure out why everything else explodes in your life a hundred times over. What's the core of it? Or maybe it was your spouse, but it was something beyond today's offense. It was something they did three years ago. Who are you angry with? What at the core of what's going on? Identify what's really the problem. Where are you? What's the person that you think about? Who's the person that you have in who's the person that you have invisible conversations with? They're not even in the room, but you have conversations with them. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're talking to the air, you know, I'll tell you what I think about this. Okay? Identify who you are angry with. That's the first step. Number two, determine what they owe you. This is a big step. Determine exactly, well, they, I, they owe me a lot. What? Well, more than they can pay. I know. What? Listen very carefully. General forgiveness doesn't heal specific hurts. Right? So you cannot cancel a debt that you've not clearly identified. 
you need to sit down and say exactly what do they owe me. Maybe they could never, maybe it's just ridiculous. They could never, what is it? Is it a hundred bucks? A thousand? A million? My reputation, my life, my trust, my commitment, anything? My soul? What, 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 write it down. Exactly what do they owe me? Specifically, do I feel they owe me? Identify who you're angry with. Determine what they owe you. Look at it. I'll bet you in most cases it can't be paid anyhow. Number three, cancel the debt. That's what Jesus said forgiveness was. Say, you don't owe me. You might, you know, you got, it's you and God, it's you and your, your job or the world, the laws, whatever you, you don't owe me. Canceling, between you and me, I'm canceling the debt. Here's what I mean. Write it down. Go to God and say, God, here's who owes me and here's what they owe me. And I'm right now telling you that I am, they don't owe me anything anymore. I forgive them. I'm canceling the debt. In fact, if you're really clever, write it down and after you do this, burn it. To symbolize this, it's a, the ledger is destroyed. You say, well, that's real cute, Arlen, but I've done that before. And then the next day I was all hacked off again. And I thought I was over it, and then one year later, I found myself fuming again. It came back to my mind. So did I not really forgive? No, I think the fourth step is this, is you dismiss the case. When it comes back to you later on, go ahead and let it come. You can't stop the emotions you feel. Let it come back and just say, okay, I acknowledge the frustration, the hurt that has come back when it came back to my mind. But once I absorb that, listen, then remind yourself, they don't owe me. I canceled the debt already. They don't owe me. And then thank your Father, your Heavenly Father, for His forgiveness for you and for His grace to help you forgive the way that we've experienced forgiveness ourselves. They cancel the debt, and then when it comes back, it's there, acknowledge it, and say, but you know what? They don't owe me. It's hard. And there's, a, there's little signals that you're not doing this very well. It's when the person, you know, that you're close to does something wrong and you bring back the 20 things. You bring back, the, you, bring back you say, I'm upset with what you did today and here's the court documents from the last 20 times you offended me. I've got the whole case in front of me here. Right? Well, those are dismissed. Or it's when you can't even think well of somebody. You know, I'll tell you when you know you've come to a healthy spot in your life, when you can think of someone who hurts you and not wish them ill. You can think of someone who hurts you, who is doing fine, hears something good about their life, so their life's going well, and that's okay. That's okay. Because you don't need them to suffer to make you whole. It doesn't work that way. You've canceled the debt. You dismissed the case. You've gone on with your life. Big topic, and I said this earlier. Maybe, you need, maybe it's something that needs to be planted a seed today. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a real tough spot in your life that you're just really wrestled for. And the Bible seems so un, un under, not understanding. Although I think Jesus understood when he went to the cross what forgiveness looks like. But maybe it just seems so far for you. The, the, the tension of the ideal versus your real just seems too far. But don't run from that tension. Live in that tension. Talk to somebody. I might hear you and say, I completely get it and I understand. But how can you go forward from here? For emotional freedom and for living debt-free... You owe me is the most devastating debt to carry. Of all the debts we're going to discuss the next few weeks, this is worse than I owe you. This is worse than what's next week. This is the most devastating debt on our soul to probably carry. 
but in some ways it's the easiest to it's the easiest to overcome. It's not easy. It's simple. It's just difficult, right? But those are your steps. I love a statement that Lewis B. Smeads made years ago. It's been quoted everywhere. People have quoted it before. And I love it. It, it sticks with me. I'm going to leave it with you today. Lewis said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Well, yeah, can I find a way to set me free without setting them free out of anything that I want them to pay for? But that's what I'm saying. You can't, you can't skirt the forgiveness part. You can't skip those steps. They don't deserve it. I know, but you're hurting you. Just like confession last I told you last week about confession. That when you confess to somebody, they might not respond the way you want them to, but you owe that to them for their emotional well-being. But there's also emotional benefit for you to confess and I owe you. So today, if someone owes you and they have a you owe me thing going on with you, what you, need, what you can do to forgive them can benefit them. And I know that we don't want to do that because we don't really want to forgive. But cancel that debt, dismiss the case, do what I said earlier, and find that it's not their benefit as much as it ends up being your own. And go to your Heavenly Father and say, God, thank you that you did that for me. That must have been hard. I'm pretty grateful. Thank you for the help to do it for somebody else. If you've never received God's forgiveness, put your faith in him today. If you have already, let's pass it on and be free. Heavenly Father, that's a mouthful. And I, I feel like we're in heavy topics the last two weeks, but they needed to be. These are important things. I know last week, and I hope this week, somebody's life is really mm, just a path to freedom is discovered. They, I pray that if there's someone here today watching online or listening in person who feels like there's an inescapable bondage emotionally from things that have happened to them and they don't see a path forward out of the prison that they're in, that today they would see a door. And maybe they don't want to walk through the door yet. Perhaps they're still holding on. But give them a vision and a hope for the sake of their own soul of what freedom looks like from the things that were done to them that are still hurting them to this day. I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to find through your example of your love and through the wisdom of, of your word and the uh, examples we have around us, we, they'd find the power of forgiveness to be very, very freeing indeed. Thank you for this morning. We pray that you'll speak to hearts and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.